I'm Jonathan Goldson, Director of Ethical Imperatives and author of Grappling with the Gray, an ethical handbook for personal success and business prosperity. And today we're going to talk about the challenge of being good versus being successful, of trying to find our moral compass, of balancing our responsibility towards ourselves with a responsibility towards others. I'm going to incorporate some of the ideas I've talked about in my speeches and my keynotes and my TEDx talk. And we're going to really try to bring out an understanding of what we can do to contribute to a more successful world that we get to live in. Stay tuned. Here's what I'm constantly curious about. As someone who has studied psychology, I'm fascinated by and curious about how we as humans rationalize, compartmentalize who we are, what we've done, and who we versus who we say we are. If there is a separation between ethics, morals, and justification, right, righteousness, what are those separations? I am your host, Dove Barron. To find out more about how you can hire me as a speaker, strategist, or executive advisor for yourself or your organization, simply go to DoveBaron.com. That's D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com. This episode of Curiosity Bites is brought to you in part by the awesome music project, Dot com. Uh, it's connecting music, science, and story to enhance mental uh, health. To find out more about the Awesome Music Project and the AMP Foundation at theawesomemusicproject.com. All right, let's jump down onto this delicious episode. We are told that we're becoming more divided, more tribal, that there are with that, there's so many who are looking to claim that their way is the right way. But here's the question. Is there a way for us to find common ground, a way for us to step out of this easy, black, white, right, wrong mentality and be willing to step into the gray areas that sit between that or maybe will allow us to come together? If there is, how do we do it? Well, on this delicious episode, actually, let me rephrase that. On this delicious and totally kosher episode, uh, my guest is Rabbi Jonasen Goldson. He is Director of Ethical Imperatives, teaching professionals how good ethics is good business and the benefits of intellectual diversity. He is a keynote and TEDx speaker, trainer, coach, and community rabbi, former newspaper columnist. He's, the, he's authored hundreds of articles applying uh, ancient rabbinical wisdom to the challenges of modern secular world. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and help me welcome the author of six books, most recently Grappling with the Gray, an ethical handbook for personal success and business prosperity, Rabbi Jonathan Dalton! Thank you, Dove. I think maybe I'll just step out now. That uh, so I'm going to be downhill from here after that introduction. We've raised the expectation <laughs> beyond anything. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, mate. I appreciate it very much. I really do. I'm looking forward to it. So I always like to start with the same question, which is, what do you personally right now find yourself most curious about? It may be on the subject. It may not be at all, and that's fine. I think the question that's been on my mind for a while, and I think it's on a lot of our minds, 
is whether or not the pendulum is going to swing back. Mm -hmm. uh, we have become so polarized and so entrenched in our ideologies, in our politics, in our social issues, it seems impossible mm -hmm. <laughs> that we can, we can come back from this. Uh, however, I, I recently finished reading George Washington's biography. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was really extraordinary to me to see that what we're going through today is really not that different right. from what was going on between Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton and the Federalists and the, and the, uh, and the states' rights uh, people. Yeah. Uh, there, there may have been a little more civility back then, <laughs> but there's That's some pretty- That's because it took longer to load a musket. <laughs> There was some pretty shady dealings there by people that we really look up to. Yes. And, um, you know, I, 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 it's, it's all part of the human contradiction that we can be extraordinarily noble in one aspect, mm -hmm. and yet we remain human beings. And yeah, those two it, elements it are at odds with each other. I think, I think history is fascinating um, and obviously always requires a time machine because as this saying goes, history is written by the winners. Um, and uh, history has a way of dry cleaning history, <laughs> right? So, you know, it, it's like, yeah, you know, suddenly this guy is a really good guy, but actually if you lived in that time, you might go, what a douche, <laughs> right? And there are people today that we look at in exactly the same way as amazing. And then we go, well, what a douche when we look further out, it depends on, you know, it, it, all of that, it changes. And it, it it's again, to this key thing that I want to really get into, which is, you know, ethics, morals, and subjectivity, and where all that sort of collides. And, and I think that that's a, a fascinating piece. Uh, you know, we're going to take a deep dive into this really this ocean of understanding related to ethics and morality. Um, and in a minute, I'm going to certainly ask you to tell us a little more about you and how you came to be the person that you are. But first, let me ask you, what's the, what's the one thing that most people just don't understand? Like I said, we'll go into the details in a bit. But what's the one thing that you wish people understood about morals and ethics that they just don't seem to get? What I've run into again and again is that when you ask people or, or people have the opportunity to explain actions that many of us might find objectionable, mm. their defense is it's not illegal. Mm. And that cuts to the heart of the whole question. When we conflate what's ethical with what's legal, we entirely miss the point. Because mm. as you said in your introduction, and then the title of my book is Grappling with the Gray, referring to gray areas and gray matter. Yes. That most of the difficult decisions are not black and white decisions. Most of them are gray. Between good and good, between bad and bad, prioritizing, competing values. Not just what, what can I do? Not what can I get away with? Not what will the law allow me but what is my duty as a right. member of human society? And how will my actions 
have an impact on those around me. That is at the heart of ethics. And if we, if we lose that mindset, and in, in a business context, I often say that, that, eth, that compliance is the enemy of ethics. Mm. Because when you try to legislate ethics through compliance, what you're doing is you are abdicating the responsibility for making moral decisions. And that's what we need to cultivate in, an, in ourselves is that mental, there's that ethical mindset. How do I think in an ethical way? Because often there aren't clear answers mm -hmm. and we have to deal with that too. Yes. If you and I have different political values or social values, we may never be able to reconcile and we still have to live together. Right. And we have to live as a part as members of a society, and that society has to accommodate both of us. So compromising with people who think differently is not the same as compromising one's values. Right. In fact, the value of living in a in a in a harmonious and functional society means there's going to be give and take. Mm -hmm. And it's the ethical mindset that enables us to do that beyond the boundaries of what's legal and illegal. Yeah, I mean, I think what you just brought up there is a fascinating uh, jump off point in a moment, we're going to get into it. Because that that whole piece around that argument, for me, uh, falls through the cracks so quickly, when people say, well, it's not illegal. Um, and I think that that is pretty much been the argument of every criminal at all time at some point until they you know they had to adjust the laws around it um but you know because there is likely always if you have enough money at least um a legal loophole around something uh, that doesn't make it decent um so you know i mean maybe a simpler term is is it decent are you a decent human being when you do this and the and you know i used to think the answer was can you sleep well at night? And what I've realized is many people sleep very well. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who have no ethics, no moral, no, no reason sleeping well. They justify anything. So you know, there's that. Now we now we we slip into the realm of the narcissist and all those kinds of things. So there's a lot here. But before we jump into that, because there is so much, and and thank you for bringing those things up because it's a great catalytic moment there, right? But tell us a little bit about you because. I'm guessing there's a lot of people who don't know you or watching our show, listening to our show, who don't know you yet. They've maybe never heard of you. And I always like to give people sort of a, a, something they can sink their teeth into because you and I have only met fairly recently. So tell us a little bit about you, uh, what you were like as a kid, um, your journey into English literature to becoming a fundamentalist hitchhiker and all that journey, if you could. You know, succinctly, and then we'll sort of pull out of that. All right. Uh, I don't like to go too far back into my childhood, but um, I mean, I had to go through it once. I don't really want to go through it again. But, uh, <laughs> Please tell us that, though, because that's important. It gives context to people. It's one of the things I do love about this particular podcast that I do is that we get to know the people. Because, again, when you look at ethics and morals and all those kinds of things, you have to look at the psychology of an individual. When you look at the psychology of an individual, you have to look at where they were formed. And where they were formed is usually in their childhood. And it often is, well, formative. I mean, it really does. It, it, it gives a lot of our 
belief systems, but it also gives a lot of our um, moral standing or lack thereof. Yeah, I, I can. I suppose I could lie down on the couch now and let you. Uh... Sure, go ahead. <laughs> um, I am fully trained. I used to be licensed. <laughs> I, I grew up in a in a uh, pretty ordinary um, middle class, maybe upper middle class home. My father was a self made businessman, uh, built houses for a living. Uh, went to uh, you know enlisted in World War II. Well, I was in the the Army Air Corps. Wanted yeah. to be a pilot, but he was six foot four. He didn't fit in the cockpits. <laughs> so, oh, uh, really? <laughs> uh, and um, you know, he came back and he finished uh, finished college on the GI Bill and uh, became a businessman. Mm. And you know, he was he was an unusual creature. This is not necessarily something we we get into, but he was a very conservative, politically conservative, secular Jew. Okay, which is highly unusual. Mm -hmm. Um, but he had, you know, his, he had grown up in the depression Yes. and every day of his youth, he would see his father at dinner. His father had a business and he kept it going through the depression. Wow. But my father, his father was gone in the morning when my dad woke up. Right. He came home at supper time. They ate, my father went to bed and that was the only time he saw his father seven days a week. Wow. And so, you know, the, we, we talk about, we, we call that, that, that his generation, that we call the greatest generation. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think there's something so instructive, you know, we don't wish difficulties on ourselves, but when you grow up with every day going to work, it's really a matter of survival. Yeah. And everybody's in it together. You know, there, was a, there was an ethic that developed as part of society. And it carried through the post-depression or carried through World War II. And, and then I was one of the um, aftermath, right? the baby mm -hmm. boomers. Boomers, yeah. Late baby boomer, uh, where it was a mixed bag because our parents wanted us to have all the opportunities that they didn't have. They right. wanted to have that sense of security that they didn't have. They wanted us to have, uh, sort of freedom to make choices and not feel locked into what we had to do for survival. And of course, that gave us the 60s, right? which um, by many accounts was not the best thing um, for the world. Depends um, on which, world, which, which side of the... <laughs> See, I, I grew up in the UK and um, by the time uh, 1968 came along, uh, I was 10 years old. Okay, so I grew up in the UK, fascinated by America, always fascinated by America, because I would look out and I would, I, I was into music. So there was the um, Scott McKenzie, uh, which was, uh, let's go, let's go to San Francisco. It was all about the summer of love. It was flower power. It was all that kind of thing. But I was also aware of Martin Luther King, and I was interested in American politics. So, you know, it was this, I mean, talk about polarized. It was almost like um, completely ignorant of each other. Like on one side was hippies and, and flower power. And on the other side, quite literally on the other side of the country was the civil rights movement that was going on and was very inflamed. So it's, it, you know, the 60s was a very interesting time 
for for kids i can't imagine what it was like to be a kid in america at that time right so you would have been in in that world when you were in that world your parents just so people who don't maybe don't understand your your family were not religious jews not they were secular jews yeah. so you were not you were not brought up religious at all did not you go to synagogue were you were you part no. of no nothing never my my bar mitzvah went by unobserved i never learned the hebrew olive base um so you you hadn't even you heard of some of the major holidays by virtue of you fell out of a ver jewish vagina and therefore you were not because of any choice and not because of any particular mandate right and yet i always knew it was important sure I couldn't articulate why right because there was certainly nothing i mean in our house we had a we had a tree next to the fireplace and a, and a, a menorah on the on the uh, on the shelf and i didn't really have any sense that either one meant anything important right uh, they were just sort of <laughs> cultural <laughs> yeah accoutrements yeah I, I will tell you that we had the same we had a christmas tree and a menorah on the shelf the menorah was not lit the menorah was lit, lit at my bubba's house at my grandmother's house but the menorah was not lit in my house but the christmas tree was lit plenty of christmas lights yeah yeah i still remember stan my father wasn't into this stuff at all my mother was a little bit and i remember staying with my mother she lit the menorah the first night and she said we light for eight nights because the oil burned for eight light for eight days and i thought to myself what oil <laughs> exactly and, and I didn't ask. It was, it was almost like I'm afraid maybe she doesn't know either. <laughs> wow. So there, there is that, you know, that a lot of cultural ambivalence. Right. And, um, and, and I grew up uh, sort of undefined in my, in my own attitudes, as many children do. Uh, very young, I absorbed my, my political outlook from my parents, which was very conservative. Mm -hmm but without really understanding mm -hmm. what they were all about. Right. And it was really when I got to college that uh, life started to open up for me. Um, I was, uh, I became a lot more social, became a lot more engaged. And, and I just, I fell in love with, uh, with English and English literature. Where did you grow up? What's that? Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, and then I heard of the movie Escape from LA. Yeah, um, that that's my memoir. Uh, I went to uh, I went to college in Northern California at the University of California at Davis. So was that was that a Jewish community? Was that a conservative community? Was that you know because you said your dad was a businessman, but he was a conservative Jew. Well, conservative was, politically. Yeah, so I meant sorry, yeah. I meant politically. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't clear there. Yeah. So was it a, a politically conservative environment? Because you know, we think of California today as the most liberal place. Yeah, like, yeah. Where and, you and lived, was it that or not? Well, keep in mind, Ronald Reagan was president back, uh, governor That's back true, then. That's true, yes. And uh, so California and was not California. nearly as, uh, as, you know, off the edge of the map as it is these days. Right. It was, it was a lot more balanced. And, um, you know, I, I was, again, you know, I, I, I would parrot the political ideas of my parents because that's what of I course. heard. But it really wasn't part of my. So, what was it about view. English literature that was so delicious for you, so enticing for you? I love stories, and the truth oh. is, I think we all do. Of course, you know, our, our minds are programmed for stories. Yes, 
And, and, I, and I read a while back a, a study they'd done where they said that the people who read literary, literary fiction tend to be more morally sensitive than people who read nonfiction. That is interesting, isn't it? Let's just stop there for a minute. So nonfiction would be guiding us around how to be morally secure or to have ethics or to have the set of values or to be whatever it is that is good and right. Yet we do better at absorbing it through story than we do through instruction. That is, that is important and profound um, because um, very often uh, as, a, as a student of story, I teach people how to do story, uh, very often it, story has a moral ambiguity to it until the moment, whatever the moment is, right? So there's that moral ambiguity. And I personally absolutely love um, films that are movies that are, quote, in the gray. I actually, those are my favorite movies. Uh, what was that George Clooney movie um, where he was a CIA agent? Uh, it'll come to me in a minute. And and everything about it was gray. So there was, he was, he was a CIA agent, which made him a bad guy because he was supposed to be a bad guy, but he really wasn't. And he was dealing with a, a, a prince in the Middle East who was an oil baron, but was actually trying to bring in solar power. And he was, and there was a, a featured character in there who was um, who was a suicide bomber, who was not a Muslim, who had no religious attachment whatsoever, but wanted to feed his family, and it was a way for him to look after his family. And it was like I loved all the gray in it, and sure. that's one of my favorite things is to to show us, me, you, all of us, that you have a bias and you think this is right. But is it, or have you got limited perspective on something, which is part of the, the, the key? Yeah, when Hollywood gets it right, which occasionally they do, um, it's, it's very compelling. Yes. Because then we have to start this internal struggle. Uh, and if we're really thoughtful, we'll ask ourselves, you know, why? I mean, talking about Clooney, take something like o Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Right? It's a heist movie. Yep. So why are we rooting for the thieves? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Because they're ripping off a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. So, it, so we it, allow... It's, 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 it's one, um, one ethical standard of morality um, against another, you know, so we allow the ourselves best to be of the worst of the worst of the best, I guess. Syriana, yeah. that's the name of the movie I was trying to think of. Syriana, superb, gray movie. And I, I love those movies that push us into the gray and make us rethink things and, and re-examine those. Yeah, but the also so is that where, when... do you think that that's where you got onto the, the idea of ethics and morals? Was that sort of the, if you will, the training ground for it for you? I think in many ways, um, especially when I started, you know, more serious literature, you know, Shakespeare is such a master of human psychology. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, when I read The Merchant of Venice, um, I was transported. Uh, and again, this is not because I, I was deeply invested in my own Judaism. Maybe I could relate a little bit better um, because of that. But just the nuances of the, and to see how how Shylock, who is 
typically seen as this vile yes. uh, creature. Mm -hmm. But when you study the play and you see that it was the corruption of Christian society that turned Shylock into Shylock. Yes. And you read beneath the surface and he becomes this, this tragic character that is both villainous and sympathetic. Yes. It, it, it's, it is so powerful. And those types of complexities are what we have to deal with when we try to, to turn our, our, our lives in, in, as you said in the introduction, these binary choices. We're simply right. not acknowledging the reality of our human situation. But that is so, what you just said there is so important and it's where we're going to go in the second half, but that, that understanding of the complexities which I think is so, I think it's, I believe it's what causes the problems we have today. Um, you know, people will look at Donald Trump and they say he is X, um, depending on which side of that aisle you're on. Um, and, you know, I, I don't make any bones about the fact that I'm not a fan of his, but at the same time, I can look at the complexity of how he came to be because he is not a problem. He's a symptom. And, and, and by that, I don't mean of the Republican party. Right. I mean, he's a symptom yeah. of the political situation in America. Yeah, I believe he's a symptom of his father who was clearly a narcissist, you know, and everything I read about Fred, not so great. I wouldn't want him as a dad personally. And my dad sucked and I still wouldn't trade him out for Fred. Um, so, you know, I think that we, we, it's very easy for us to, uh, to be righteous. And this is why I really want to have this conversation with you, because I think that between you and I, we can tease out this whole thing around the difference between ethics and morality and righteousness and justification in the name of righteousness, i.e. taking a gun to a rally, which is, you know, justified and, and even considered righteous but is it moral and ethical? Well, we might be have a different conversation. You know, so it's, it, I love that you are examining this from grappling with the gray rather than this is the ethical path. This is the moral path. And that's why I want to discuss with you in our conversation as we go into these different parts, the, the gray areas and, and your own dance with them, your own, uh, personal struggles maybe with with some of those if, if that's okay with you yeah absolutely fabulous I mean, that's what we're here for absolutely and so again uh we are already coming towards the end of the first part of this uh delicious and fully kosher episode of curiosity bites uh i am here with rabbi Jonathan goldson try saying that quick son and son it's difficult um, um, and we are talking about grappling with the gray. That is the name of his latest book. He's the author of six books. And we're going to, we, you know, we're, we're talking about this as we move into it. We're going to talk about what are ethics, what are morals, what is righteousness. And we're going to talk about moving into that journey because, um, as, as Robert Jonathan said at the beginning here is that, um, this is, you know, he, he was not uh, 
what would you say, forged in this, in meaning you know, wasn't birthed into being a conservative Jew. Um, but this is a, a path, a journey, and we want to explore that journey because I think there's a journey for all of us. And uh, a lot of the times, uh, one of if you've been following me at all for any period of time, you know that one of the things I will say constantly is, if you didn't choose it, it's not yours. And what I mean by that is, whatever it is you believe, if you've not bothered to investigate that and choose it, it's not really yours. You've adopted it, you've adapted it, but you maybe have not actually chosen it. And therefore, maybe your moral compass possibly might not be your own. So that's where we're going to go. That's what we're going to get into in the rest of the show. I hope you'll come back to us for part two of this delicious episode with Rabbi Jonasen Goldson. We'll see you in a few minutes. Till then, stay curious, my friends. Stay curious. <laughs>